0: Hello again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this 23rd of March, 2023. If you missed the first hour, you can get it later today at myfaithradio.com. Or here's an idea for you right now, you could text the word APP to 877 933 2484. It's probably the number you have in your phone under Carmen. Mm -hmm. You can text the word APP. to 877-933-2484. And you're going to get a bounce back link to download the Faith Radio app. It's free. And uh, there on the Faith Radio app, you can not only listen live anywhere, anytime, but you can also um, listen back. Like you can listen on demand to anything that Faith Radio airs anytime, anywhere. Mm-hmm. There you go. Puts you totally in control of your own, um, of your own experience, which I know, We have little control over so many other things. It's nice to have control in this area. So, there you go. Uh, Take me wherever you're going because I like to go along for the ride. So, thank you so very much. Um, Sometimes uh, people wonder do miracles still happen? Like, is God still in the miracle business? We read the book of Acts and uh, we read the Gospels and we see Jesus performing miracles and we see Jesus sending out the first disciples two by two um, and we hear, you know, we hear evidence that by the power of the holy spirit and in the name of jesus they performed miracles. We see evidence of that in the book of acts. Um and we wonder to ourselves, does does god still perform miracles? Is god still in the miracle business? Well, here's the deal. God is still god. I mean like that hasn't changed and intervening um in real time in reality in real ways um for the extension of his glory that other people might see him and come to know who he is. Like it's, it's always for his own glory. It is for our good that miracles are performed. Um, I mean, healing is a gift to the person who is healed and the family of the person who is healed, but it's all to God's glory. And if you doubt me, um, reread what Jesus actually says about why he performs miracles. I mean, yes, it's for the good of those who are healed, but it's for the glory of God. It is absolutely 100% for the glory of God. And so um, every time I come across a genuine miracle story, I say to myself, we should amplify this. We should talk about it. Why? Because God should be getting his glory. God deserves to get his glory. And so posted right now um, at at CBN.com is a miracle story. Um, And uh, it is the testimony of an emergency room doctor um, and a pastor and those uh, others who were present in the room who witnessed a miracle. So the Coffeeville Regional Medical Center in Coffeeville, Kansas is uh, it has an emergency room doctor named Dr. Landon Vinson. And this emergency room doctor was the person um, present in the ER in the spring of 2021, height of the COVID uh, pandemic. When a woman arrives in his emergency room, um, unconscious, and, um, and her heart's not beating. So they're actively giving her CPR. Um, and she was clinically dead. Here's what he says. <clears throat> we were able to get her heart beating again, but essentially the only thing that was keeping her heart going were the shots of adrenaline we were pumping into her bloodstream. Um, and we put her on a ventilator. So from a medical standpoint, this woman was not alive. It's what we call brain dead. Um, And he describes here um, that there were, from his clinical viewpoint as a medical doctor, no signs of life. Her eyes were fixed and dilated. She had no gag reflex. Her limbs showed signs of mottling, um, which is a, a precursor to the onset of rigor mortis. Dr. Vinson and his staff um, made the decision to remove her from life support, but her husband asked someone to call a local pastor um, who he knew um, to come and pray with her. Now, as this encounter with the pastor um, unfolds, I wonder to myself if these people had um, any substantial relationship with the church that this guy pastors because he does not appear to know her. So he arrives, and he um, begins—he didn't know. He had not been told um, about the woman's condition. He had not been told that she had uh, been—I mean, not yet declared dead, but there were no signs of life in her body. He had not been told that. He walks in, he puts his hand on her shoulder, and he just starts to pray. He's praying over her. This is the doctor's recollection. He says, well, I bowed my head, too, and there was a nurse in the room, and a couple of minutes into the prayer, one of the machine's— Sounded an alarm, and so I looked up. Um, I just, uh, I thought, well, I'll just turn it off so that it won't be distracting for this man who is, you know, doing this, what he considered at this point, you know, gracious act for the husband. Like, right? He said, but then I looked up, and I saw that spontaneous breath had come back into her. I saw her hand moving. The pastor continued to pray. He started asking her questions, and she started nodding her head in response. He called her by name and said, this is Pastor Randy, and I have come to pray for you. Can you hear me okay? And she nodded. Her eyes opened. Then the pastor said, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? And she nodded yes. And so he continued. That's great news. Because today, we're going to do what Scripture says, where two or three agree, touching anything and believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and asking him, it shall be done. And so I'm asking God to restore your health and to heal you. Does that sound all right to you? And she replied with her eyes, yes. This made no sense to me, the doctor says. This is a woman who had no signs of life. We had taken her off of all the medications. We had, uh, we had given her four medications to keep her heart going, but those were now all turned off. Her blood pressure was strong all by itself. She was blinking her eyes. I leaned down and I asked her, can you hear me? And she nodded her head yes. And I said, do you want us to keep going and fight for your life? And she aggressively shook her head yes. The doctor says, this is the first true miracle I've ever seen. It was a very humbling moment. And I just kept hearing God say, this is my child and I decide who lives. As the woman began responding, The pastor described um, to his congregation how two nurses quickly left the room, um, you know, for things that they needed to do and they were going to transfer to another hospital. And um, and so he he wraps it up this way. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. That's. Us now, Rachel Starr, founder of Scarlet Hope and author of Outrageous Obedience, Answering God's Call to Shine in the Dark Places. Rachel,
1: welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me, Carmen. Okay, so
0: um I I appreciate um, you know, like this story of where for you like God called you to go into a genuinely dark place, and so I, I definitely want you to tell us this story of uh, where God led you. I really want you to tell your testimony. Could you just do that? Can I just ask it that way?
1: <laughs> sure. Um, well, you know, it starts really as a young girl. I had a, I grew up in a pastor's home with my dad sharing. The hope and love of Jesus with me and my- both of my parents, but my dad really showed me how to live like Jesus and who Jesus would walk alongside and who Jesus would go to and so that was my example my whole life but uh I was very sick as a child God um miraculously healed me when I was nine years old of a illness um called scleroderma, and so when I got into my upper uh teens, my early twenties, I started asking God if you saved me from this, what did you create me for? What is my purpose and who are my people? And I was driving into work one day. I had been praying for a couple of years with my husband about where God would call us to. And we were willing to go anywhere, but I was driving into work one day and I passed a theater X. And quite frankly, as a Christian, most of my life and growing up in a Christian home, I didn't really know what that was, or what happened there. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, I'm sending you there to share my hope and my love with the people in that place. And I called my husband. I said, I think God's calling me to women in the sex industry. And my husband was like, that's exactly what Jesus would do. (laughs) So that's how we started our ministry of Scarlet Hope, ministering to women in the adult entertainment industry in 2007. So
0: Scarlet Hope um, is a ministry you can connect with directly at scarlethope.org. Next, we're going to have Rachel um, share with us more about her own outrageous obedience and the call in our own lives to answer um, God and shine in the dark places. The book is Outrageous Obedience. More up next. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen.
1: To obey is
2: better than
0: we're talking with Rachel Starr. You can connect with her ministry at scarlethope.org. Her book is Outrageous Obedience, Answering God's Call to Shine in the Dark Places. Um, Rachel, what does radical biblical obedience look like today?
1: Yeah, it looks like wherever, seeking the Lord and what, where he's calling you to go to share the gospel and to give Him glory and advance the kingdom, and then being obedient to what that and where that is. For me, it was people in the adult entertainment industry that have experienced exploitation and trafficking. Um, Also, for me, it's going and serving home-cooked meals to strip clubs, massage parlors, women on the streets, and then being able to provide a way to disciple them and teach them who Jesus is and how He loves them and how He has a better life for them um and it, that's what it looks like today but in many contexts it looks simply like seeking God's will and his glory and his plans for the for how you can impact the kingdom and then being obedient to that
0: so i'm imagining in the midst of all this rachel that um you know there's 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 one day that you're um you know you're going to deliver meals and you're going to serve them in one of these locations and, um, you need to borrow your husband's vehicle. And so you put it all in there and you drive there and you, you know, you park his vehicle right there out front and center of that, um, particular establishment. And you start hearing from people, Hey, I saw your, uh, your husband's car, (laughs) you know, parked in front of a strip club. Um, right. Like we are so quick to Mm. judge other Christians who are shining as light in dark places. Um, have you had that experience where, some of the negative feedback actually comes from fellow brothers and sisters in Christ?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I first started doing this uh, over 15 years ago, my closest friends thought I was crazy. I would hear things (laughs) like, you're going to become like them. You are, you know, God couldn't really be calling you to go to them. There's (laughs) church signs, and if they see the signs, they're more than welcome to come. Things like that happened. And you know, fast forward here, several years after we had started serving women and women's lives were being transformed by the gospel, people started apologizing to me and writing me letters saying, Wow, I had no idea that God could do this. And so I mm. think we have a very limited uh, view of what God calls us to or how to be obedient or what God can do. And so, um, yeah, for sure, people were skeptical and still sometimes are skeptical of what we do.
0: There's this rhythm of um, revelation, God's revealing Himself, His love, um, and then God revealing us, um, and our response, which for you, you know, like this description of uh, of obedience that you offer us, is this essential component part here, this radical biblical obedience, and it does bring transformation. And you have seen that. You have seen lives transformed by the power of the gospel, and your life has been transformed in the midst of it as well. I think that part of our resistance sometimes to doing what we clearly know God is calling us to do is we don't really want our life to be complicated and changed in the ways that um, yours has become complicated and changed.
1: You know, that's that's really true. And I I think that part of what happens in the journey of being obedient to the Lord's calling is he doesn't give you the whole picture. of He doesn't tell you where you're going to be at in 15 years and what it's going to look like. And, you know, really, I had no intention of starting an organization that would do this all over the country long term. I just simply wanted to be obedient to the Lord. And so he gave me one step at a time. And it was to show up at a strip club with a home-cooked meal and and serve the women sacrificially without judgment. And God used that uh to change my life to show me that he can I, I've seen I say this and especially in my book, I explain this. I've seen God work in a strip club more than I've seen God work in the pews and the churches uh that I've been a part of in my life. And uh, you know, that that you can only witness that when you actually are obedient and you actually go and do what God's calling you to do.
0: There's a lot of resistance to obedience. I mean, there just is. Like, we have so many ways of rationalizing a way that God might be calling us to do something. So I would love for you to talk about, like, that sense of specific calling. Uh, you were obviously very spiritually sensitive. You're in your car, you're driving, and you have this absolute clarity that the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something. Can you talk about that? Can you talk about some of the ways that an individual can know that God is specifically calling them in a particular moment to extend the gospel in a particular direction?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's. um so I would say first and foremost that it wasn't anything in me that was so spiritual when I was 21 seeking the <laughs> Lord for this. I only knew what I could know, you know, I think all the time. My brain wasn't even formed until I was twenty fully formed until I was 25, but it was God's grace in me and what I had been taught my whole life and shown my whole life up to that point that led me to seek him and what he would want me to do and how he would want me to spend my life. You know, I think one of the things that people can know is I tried a lot of things before God actually spoke this into my life and and I was obedient in it. I would pick up homeless people on the side of the road. I would serve at different soup kitchens. I would lead Bible study at my church. I would do a lot of things, um, trying to seek my purpose and my calling. But this, and these are the two things that I've really identified to help people, is this was not my idea. I I never even noticed that place when I drove by it to and from work. This was God's idea, and I often think about this, is that no one else was doing this. Um, I naturally thought, well, yes, this is exactly what Jesus would do. So I went to churches and asked my church and other churches, are you ministering to prostitutes and women in the sex industry? And people would unanimously in my city say no. And so I knew it was from the Lord that he was calling us to do this. And it was just take the first step of obedience.
0: Um, talk with us about a little bit about Scarlet Hope, um, which I'm going to direct people to at ScarletHope.org. It's operating in a number of cities um, across the country. Um, it, this goes beyond, uh, you know, a, a home cooked meal taken to a strip club.
1: we do that. We serve women in strip clubs. We serve them in massage parlors. We serve them online now because that has exponentially grown over the years. And we reach them with the hope of the gospel, with a home-cooked meal, with a dessert, with a gift. But we offer opportunities into a community where they can come to know a a safe group of christian people that are for them they can also come to know the gospel and who god created them to be in his image and and so in 10 cities around the country we operate scarlet hopes in major cities miami nashville you can find them on our website Um, and we're offering these these programs in each of the cities as a way to provide a place a safe place for women to transform their lives into who God created them to be.
0: I love your story. I love the story of Scarlet Hope. I, um, I deeply appreciate the ministry in which you're engaged. The book is a wonderful connecting point for individuals. And so if you're listening right now and you're like, I want to be released in this way. Like I want I want to experience this kind of outrageous obedience in my own life. And I want to answer God's call to shine in the dark places of this generation. The book is Outrageous Obedience answering God's call to shine in the dark places. Scarlethope.org is where you can connect with information and resources related to the ministry um, that is taking place in, in cities across the country um, in relationship to sharing the hope and the love of Jesus with women in the adult entertainment industry. And um, if that is a of interest to you, I really encourage you to go check it out and connect at scarlethope.org. Um, Rachel, what a joy to connect with you today. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Carmen, for having me on your show.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's Rachel Starr. Let's be praying for Rachel and the others who are engaged in this really magnificent ministry. Again, scarlethope.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, this is going to sound political, but this is a conversation about um, elections and the fact that elections matter. Uh, It is the responsibility of every state legislature to oversee and fund things in your state. And so um, education is a part of that. And your state legislature ultimately sets the rules that govern many aspects, not only of education um, you know, like K to 12 and pre-K and all of that, but higher education as well. And so today we're going to bring Minnesota into focus. In 2022, in that election cycle, Minnesota voters gave Democrats control of every aspect of state government. That has not been true since uh, the 2013, 2014, um, the, those two years. Um, so here's the reality. when one, When any one political party completely controls not only both houses of state legislature, but the governor's mansion, the secretary of state, the attorney general, like all of these things are now controlled by one political party. And that means they can drive change um, forward in a way that not everyone is going to agree with. So... The that impact is now working itself out in a massive legislative package related to a range of issues. And today we're going to we're going to talk specifically about education Um, and we're going to do so with the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul, Corbin Hornbeek. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. President of the University of Northwestern St. Paul, Corbin Hornbeek, joins us again today. Welcome back, Corbin.
2: Well, good morning, Carmen. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm looking forward to this conversation today.
0: Thank you. All right, here's a little bit of alphabet soup to get us started. (laughs) What is PSEO, and how is that a part of this larger conversation about Minnesota's Uh, educational reform package.
2: Great. Thank you so much. Well, PSEO stands for Post-Secondary Education Options, and it's a program uh, in the state of Minnesota. And and backing up just a moment, thank you for Uh, allowing us to have some time to narrow in on a conversation that applies specifically to the state of Minnesota. But I know these things have national implications as well. So, PSEO stands for post-secondary education options. Um, That's important uh, because the University of Northwestern and and many other universities and colleges in the state of Minnesota participate in this. Uh, We have been part of the PSEO uh, Minnesota program for 37 years. Uh, We have one of the largest and most successful Uh, PSEO programs uh, in the state. um, uh, As far as our enrollment, uh, about 1,700 students uh, are part of the PSEO program. Now, uh, that PSEO program, post-secondary education option, breaks into three parts. There are uh, PSEO students who are online. There are PSEO students who uh, participate in this through partner schools. And then there are what we call the PSOC, the on-campus students. Uh, so of those 1,700, about 300 to 350 of those on annual basis are actually on our campus. And that's the, that's the program that is uh, specifically targeted by the current legislation.
0: Okay, what's um, what is at issue and what is at stake?
2: Yeah, what is at issue in um, specifically House File HF twelve sixty nine and Senate File uh, SF um, thirteen eleven restricts. Seeks to restrict uh, state funding for the PSOC program in particular, the PS, uh, the post secondary on campus program in particular, for those universities and schools who require a faith statement uh, for during the application process. So, University of Northwestern St. Paul, um, we require that all of our undergraduate students uh, sign a statement of faith to say that that they have uh, committed their lives to Jesus Christ, uh, that uh, they have committed to following the Christian life through their whole of their life. Um, Of course, students are all over the map on that, but our PSOC students, the on-campus students, uh, participate in that as well. The the bill, HF 1269 and SF uh, 1311, seeks to eliminate state funding uh, from universities like the University of Northwestern, and I'll include Crown College in that as well, uh, for those schools who continue that requirement uh, that students be Christians to participate in the on-campus program. That's what's at stake.
0: All right. And, you know, there are those that would um, would obviously argue we're talking about public funds, yep. and we're talking about public funds following public school students into private um, not only Christian, but uh, institutions of higher education yeah. that might be affiliated with a particular faith,
2: yeah.
0: um, I feel like this is like a parallel conversation to the one happening across the country about school choice in general
2: yeah, it really is um, and you know th- there, there is the you know the uh, the constant conversation about the separation of church and state. Uh, what we need to remember is that um, Christians and really people of all faiths, uh, we participate in society at large uh, that 's our calling. God has called us to participate in society we are uh, We are taxpayers, uh, we are part of the larger uh, society um, and when we look back uh, at what our founders intended in the conse- uh, the constitution um, the, the the Constitution protected uh, people from any government infringement on uh, uh, requiring um, or promoting any particular religion in particular. But it certainly did not exclude uh, religion from the marketplace or the marketplace of ideas or the marketplace of education. And so we, we really hold fast to that and we hold firm to the idea that um, not only should there be choice – Uh, where uh, parents uh, choose to send their students and where students uh, choose to attend. Uh, But we also, uh, at the same time, believe very firmly on the backside of that that God has called us to participate fully uh, in culture and society and to contribute and give back.
0: So when we look, um, and again, we're talking with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek. He's the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. We're talking about... Um, legislation that is before both the House and the Senate in uh, the state of Minnesota. Um, we're talking about um, in the House, you're looking for twelve sixty nine. In the Senate, you're looking for thirteen eleven. Those are the uh, those are the bill numbers. Um, these are massive pieces of legislation, yeah. um, and so I think there are going to be people who are like, "Hey, I I have heard about this, and it's about you know everything from pre K." Uh, to 12. It's about, you know, general education. It's about educational excellence. It's yeah. about accountability and transparency and uh, American Indian education and charter schools yep. and discipline and teachers and special ed and early learning, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and you're telling me I should be concerned about it, you know, because of this, um of this one thing. Yeah. Can you, can you, can you talk about like where, where we are and what we can do <clears throat> If I just want to see this portion of the legislation affected, is that still possible?
2: Absolutely. Uh, So there's been uh, – this has moved its way through the House, the Minnesota House. It's moved its way through the Senate. Um, I will say there has not been an open invitation for a lot of public comment and a lot of uh, uh, contribution of of ideas and input on this. Um, As you said at the start of this show, um, Carmen, that um, in politics – uh, whenever one party controls uh, the House, the Senate, the governor's office, the uh, the AG's office, um, things tend to get moved through fairly quickly. Uh, it's important for our view, our listeners, to understand this is the third attempt uh, on this particular piece of legislation related to PSEO, post secondary education options. Um, previously, uh, when it was introduced into legislation, we had a divided. Uh, government, which is a healthier uh, balance of power, if you will, in my view. Um, and both times, uh, this language was removed. And so now that um, the uh, the Minnesota government is a one-party government, I've said coming from California, Minnesota is like California now with uh, uh, not Quite as good weather, so um, so this is moving through very quickly. But there is still time, and I would encourage our listeners um, to contact your representative. Um, this is really really important. There has been a there has been a wave of. Uh, of letters written um, there have been facebook um, groups that have been put together around this um, our homeschool our local minnesota homeschooling um, association and parents and families have uh, weighed in on this and given a tremendous amount of input uh, and pushback um, and so there is still time and so i would ask that you contact your uh your representative your district representative your uh your senator um and, uh, and let them know where you stand on this and let them know why it's important uh, for school choice. And I think that's part of the, the bigger picture. Why is this important not only to Minnesota, but also across the country? Uh, that school choice is important uh, for all people and all people of well-meaning uh, beliefs.
0: Yeah, it would be really good if um, you took a little time to look at the content of... Um, Again, in the House, uh, you're looking for HF 1269. In the Senate, you're looking for SF 1311. It'd be great if you took a little time to find a couple of things that you can support um, in this legislation that you can say, wow, I really like these parts of what's in here. And then you've positioned yourself to say, but there is this one thing that concerns me. And maybe there are other things in here, if you read it, that are going to concern you as well. And you might surface those with your representative. Um, But give... Give this um, thoughtful attention that as you approach your representative for this conversation, um, you are a well-informed citizen. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek. He is the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. If you've got specific questions... Just text them to me, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand. No matter where you go, download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. All right. Thank you for um, the text coming in um, uh, on this topic. I really appreciate it. You can continue to text me, 877-933-2484. We're talking with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek. He's the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul, which is the parent of Northwestern Media, which is, uh, you know, Faith Radio is a part of. So there you go. Uh, Faith Radio is a part of Northwestern Media, which is a part of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. Like, we are their global outreach. So hello. Um, thank you for my job, Dr. Hornbeek. I really like what I do. <laughs> I like um, how you and- said
2: that, Carmen. There's a lot yeah. of things kind of strung together in that, but uh, what you said is actually uh, true. Uh, Northwestern Media gives us this global outreach for the ministry of the University of Northwestern. So it's it- Awesome.
0: I love it. So we're talking with Dr. Hornbeek about legislation that's in front of the the Minnesota legislature that affects students who want to take classes at the University of Northwestern St. Paul and other institutions like it, institutions of higher um, learning that have that require faith statements by students who are educated on campus. So um, we've had a question from a listener that I think is uh, worth lifting up here. Um, Mary uh, Mary Rose says, all right, call me an opportunist, but what would it hurt um, if Northwestern decided to let those students come in without making a faith statement?
2: Very fair question, Mary. And I'm glad that you asked that question because that is a question we've had to ask ourselves as well. Um, Here's what I'm going to say in response to that. Of our PSEO, and I'm going to say what PSEO stands for again, Post-Secondary Education Option. Um, this is a long-standing program in the state of Minnesota, of which University of Northwestern has participated in PSEO for uh, 37 years, almost almost four decades. Uh, and I'll, I'll say, just in case we've had some late uh, listeners here, that we have one of the largest PSEO programs. In fact, we've got the largest PSEO program Uh, after the University of Minnesota system. So the question of uh, whether or not it's a good idea to maintain the requirement that our uh, students continue to sign the faith statement, um, that breaks down into two parts. Uh, For our PSEO students who are online, or who participate in PSEO through one of our partner schools, those students are not required to sign the Statement of Faith. They are not physically on campus, and so therefore we don't require the faith statement for those students. For the 300 to 350 or so uh, PSEO students who are on campus, what we call our PSOC on-campus program, those students are required to sign the Statement of Faith. And the reason for that is they are fully integrated into the student body. And we've been an institution that's been around for over 100 years, um, and this is part of our institutional DNA. It is really, really important. We teach everything from a biblical worldview, uh, from a biblical perspective perspective um and we integrate that into the curriculum what we call faith integration um and so it fundamentally i would say uh, changes the nature of discussions if we were to change the the requirement for students to sign the statement of faith it doesn't mean that students don't still have big questions about their faith and we want them to bring those questions to the classroom but that's the answer to the why um and it's an important question i appreciate mary's perspective on that
0: yeah that's really helpful um thank you so much can you connect this um, again? I know you've done it a couple of times, but let's just do it again. Can yeah. you connect this to the broader national conversation? I mean, let's say like down at the uh, at Arizona Christian University you where, you know, like, right, they want their education students to be able to get those, you know, practice teaching jobs yep. um, in, in local schools, and now they can't do that because, you know, it's not okay to be educated yeah. in a Christian university.
2: Well, and I, I, uh, I know President Len Munsell. Uh, he's a friend of mine, and we've had a number of conversations uh, over the last several years. Um, schools like University of Northwestern and Arizona Christian uh, University seek to participate in culture. Uh, in society, we are contributing members of society and so um, when uh, when our society uh, makes a a dogmatic um, statement that Christian colleges and universities can no longer participate. Um, in preparing teachers for uh, the public schools and uh, to have those arrangements where we're, uh, where we're able to have uh, contractual arrangements with local public school districts for our teachers to get trained, uh, we are essentially being sidelined uh, from that. Um, and I know... Uh, schools like Arizona Christian University and University of Northwestern see our responsibility as participating as full members of society, uh, contributing to the public good, contributing to the common good. Um, and so the issue of, of, of where we are right now really boils down to school choice. Um, We've been guaranteed, uh, we believe constitutionally, constitutionally uh, that we ought to be able to have uh, choice in the matter uh, of where our kids are educated and where uh, we seek uh, to and how we seek to educate uh, uh, the next future generations. So I think this is important, Carmen, because it does parlay itself into the national conversation around school choice and how Christian universities are able to be fully engaged in society.
0: For those of you who are um, texting in now any number of items of state legislation that you are concerned about um, yes and when uh, when we have a moment here at the end of the hour I will raise up a, a particular prayer for yeah. um, all that which the legislature is dealing with not only here in Minnesota but um, but across the country um, but in this you know last couple of minutes we have with you um, I'm wondering um, Corbin if there uh, if there are um, other things in higher ed that we could be praying with you about, um, you know, just as a part of the, yep. of the Northwestern family.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much, Carmen, for inviting that. And I, I, uh, you know, there are, there are certain times in our lives, certain times in, you know, the course of history of the world where we feel and sense the need to pray, perhaps more than others not that 's not very biblical because we we must always be praying, but I think there are times when we feel like um, our backs are up against the wall a little bit, and um, god I think God allows us to go into those seasons and those times He wants us to be fully dependent on him, and I think it 's human tendency, our sinful human tendency to to want to try to maintain a um, you know our position in the world on our own. We are so fully, completely dependent uh, upon God. Um, We can't do anything in this world. He goes before us. He goes behind us, around us. He surrounds us. Um, And we need to have uh, that greater sense of commitment um, to uh, to God's going before us in all things and for his people to cry out to him. So you know there's there's so many things um, you know we've heard in the last couple of weeks a number of of uh, really well known well respected Christian universities uh, who have decided to close their doors. Um, that's not good. Um, we want the Christian community, the church uh, to be fully invested in Christian higher education. Um, the strength of our Christian universities and colleges is directly related to the strength of our country. And so it's important that our, um, that our universities are strong, that our colleges are strong, that those Christian universities which are seeking to maintain our Christ-centered um, identity— in uh, our commitment to scripture um and our commitment to biblical orthodoxy and all things it is it is critical that these colleges and universities are strong, that people are invested in them, that our students are attending them, so that i you know I would say let please be praying about that um and be engaged in your in your Christian colleges and universities.
0: Thank you so much um for joining us today, Corbin. Yeah, we look forward you. to ongoing conversations. Um, again, um, we uh, encourage you to, to pray about, to become informed about, and then to reach out to your member of the legislature in relationship to these and other concerns as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right. I got uh, one more item of legislation to lift up um, for you today, and it's going to it is going to have action today on uh, the floor of the Minnesota House. It is um, HF 146, and it would declare Minnesota a sanctuary state for gender affirming care. It would remove the guardrails that are currently in place to protect children, um, and it would strip parents of their rights in many, many cases. And so um, lift that up today. Uh, if you are in a position to do so and want to join others who are concerned about this prayerfully in front of the Capitol this afternoon at 2.15 p.m., that's happening Thursday, March the 23rd. Um, and thank you for those of you who have uh, lifted this up on the text line this morning as, uh, you know, really significant primary concern leading leading your prayers today in terms of what is happening in the state of Minnesota. Um, yeah. And so wherever you live this is an opportunity for you to pray for um, the way government influences life um, and the way Christians influence government, right? So let's do so um, through prayer. Let's do so through um, intelligent engagement and conversation. Um, And obviously let's do so um, in in the way that we vote. Like, right, all of that uh, is what we have the freedom to do. Have a great day and God bless.